month of scary. It's October. It's Halloween. So it's the month of scary costumes and scary masks and scary clowns and all kinds of scary going on in October. And, and what we've been talking about is sometimes that's the right emotion. Sometimes scary, sometimes fear is the, is the right response. If not fear, then just understanding the importance of something, kind of the weight of a particular issue. So we've been talking about that, and, and today, here's the scary that I, that I want to talk about. It's scary that I can make decisions and choose actions today that will have lasting consequences for my future and possibly the futures of people that I care about. I mean, it's scary to think that what I do, that the choices I make today could have long-term consequences in my life, and it's possible that it would have long-term consequences in the people that I care about, the people that are right around me. And on the one hand, that's not scary at all, because if I make good choices, if I make the right choices, if I live in the right way, then there are going to be good consequences. The scary part is, I can make the wrong. I can do really dumb things sometimes. I don't know if you can relate or not, but I can make the wrong choice. I can... Engage in the wrong relationship. I can go down the wrong path. And when I do, there is the pit potential for that choice, that decision to have negative consequences in my life down the road and perhaps in the lives of the people around me. Here, here's the other part that makes that really scary is you never outgrow the potential to mess up your life. Have you, have you realized this? Like there's not a magic birthday out there that... Okay, I won't do anything dumb after today. I'm finally this many years old. You, you never outgrow this potential to make the wrong decision. Now, hopefully we get wiser the older we get. Uh, hopefully we get better judgment. Hopefully we see more clearly, but there's no guarantee of that. Read the Bible. There's tons of people, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, still making decisions that have negative consequences on them and also on the people around them. And yes, God's grace is available and God's forgiveness is available and God's restoration is available. None of this changes that, but the reality is God's grace and forgiveness doesn't always change the consequences of my decisions and my actions either. Teenagers, <clears throat> kids who live at home, this is why we as your parents freak out so much about what you do. Okay? This is why we lose it at times. Because we know that the choices you're making right now, the, the relationships that you're in, the people that you're around, the places that you go, the decisions that you make, we know that there is the potential that those decisions and those relationships are going to affect you way down the line in your life. And, and in some part of our brain, we understand that most of what you do is just kind of teenage stuff, and you're going to survive, and you're going to live longer than you have. A lot of teenagers do, but there's, there's this other part of us, because we've lived a lot longer than you have, there's this other part of us that knows that even at 13, 14, 15, 18, 20, 21, well, you can make decisions that you're going to have to live with the rest of your life. You see, the decisions that we make and the actions that we take today can have lasting consequences in our future. 
The decisions we make, the actions that we take today can have lasting consequences in our future. And all of us, all of us feel that tension in our life at times. All of us feel the tension between what we know we ought to make, we ought to do, the decisions we know we ought to make, the path we know we ought to walk, and the path we kind of want to walk. The kind of the path we're being pulled towards. We feel that tension. In our lives, Paul wrote about it in Romans chapter 7 when he said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Paul knew there was a tension always going on. No matter how, how young or old we are, there's a tension of doing what God wants us to do and doing what we kind of want to do, what, what our peers pressure us to do. There's an incredibly vivid Old Testament story about this. Some of you have heard the story. The central character is a guy named Samson. His story is found in the book of Judges. It's the seventh book of the Bible. If you want to read along, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in chapter 13 in just a minute. Judges, the book, was written during what we call the period of the Judges. Let me explain that. The period of the Judges in the, in the history of the nation of Israel was a period when there was a leadership vacuum. It was a void of, of leaders to follow. Prior to this, Moses had led for many, many years, really strong, really godly leader for the most part. And then following Moses was a guy named Joshua, really strong, really godly leader for the most part. And then after Joshua passes away, there's not a leader. There's not a point person. There's nobody to look to. And when there is a leadership vacuum, everybody just does what they think's right. And everybody just does their own thing. And that's exactly what we read in the book of Judges. Everybody just kind of did their own thing. This begins a cycle in the history of the nation of Israel. Where they would obey the, the Lord for a little while and then they would begin to do their own thing. They would begin to do things that were disobedient to God. And after enough of that, God would allow them to be overtaken by one of their enemies. And they would live under the oppression of their enemy until they turned back to God and said, Hey, God, we're sorry. We shouldn't have done that. We want to come back to you now. And then God would send a leader. We call him a judge in the book of Judges. God would send a leader, would free them, and then they would do fine for a little while, and then the cycle would start over. They'd disobey. They'd be captured. They'd cry out to God. He would send them a leader, and then they'd disobey. They'd be captured. They'd cry out to God. Just this vicious cycle. When we get to Judges chapter 13, in the story of Samson, we are down to the last judge for the nation of Israel. Samson's the last one in this line of cycle after cycle after cycle. Here's how his story starts. <clears throat> Philistine, and the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. <clears throat> now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So here's where we start. Samson's life begins with incredible potential. I mean, when the story opens up, 
An angel appears to his mom and says, look, you're going to be able to have a child. There are all kinds of stories like that in the Bible. Samson's is another story where an angel comes and says, look, this is a special guy. God is setting him apart. God has plans and purposes and potential for his life. It starts with this huge potential. And the truth of the matter is, all of our lives start that way. All of our lives start with the miracle that is birth and the God who creates us and creates us with plans and potential and with purpose. But what we see in Samson is that with all of the plans and all of the potential and all of the purpose, Samson also has the power to derail his life, just like you and I do. Starts with this great potential. Here's another thing we see at the beginning of the story. It's the progression of bad decision making. We see it all throughout Samson's life too, but... Leading up to this moment, the decisions of the nation of Israel had continued to spiral down. This cycle that I talked about had continued to happen over and over and over again. So we get to chapter 13 and we read again, meaning they've done this before, over and over again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that phrase appears six times in the book of Judges. The other five times, it is followed fairly quickly with phrases of them turning back their hearts to God, of what we would call repentance. God, I'm sorry. God, I don't want to do this again. For example, a phrase like this. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, as it says in chapter 3. Or, but the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned, as it says in chapter 10. So there was this disobedience followed shortly by repentance. We don't see that in chapter 13. The hardened disobedience had continued to move them farther away from God. It continued to harden their heart or numb their heart toward the things of God. And so they're not even drawn back to God when we get to chapter 13. See, bad decision-making and disobedience to God have a numbing effect on our conscience. Paul talks about this in Romans 1 and 2. Just how the more we sin, like the less sensitive we get to it. The less we feel it. The, the, the less we even notice that we're doing anything wrong. When that cycle continues in our life, we eventually don't even see the problem. Another point from the beginning of the story. At some point, we all have to own our own junk, right? I'm not sure that's the way the Hebrew language would put it, but that's the way I'm putting it today. At some point, if we're going to walk with God, if we're going to be the people that God wants, we have to own our own junk. We got to say, no, it's me. It's not anybody else's fault. I can't blame anybody else. It's me. I'm the one that keeps making these decisions. I'm the one that keeps making these choices. I'm the one that keeps jumping into these relationships. It's me. If you read chapter 13 of Judges, I encourage you to read it when you get home. What you come away with is the idea that Samson's parents seem like really great people. They seem like wonderful godly, righteous, sensitive parents. They want to be good parents. As a matter of fact, the angel visits mom and gives her this news and then goes away. And she tells dad, and dad says, God, could you send him back to teach us how to be good parents? And we've, if you're a new parent, you know what that was like. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's what he says to God. I don't know how to be a good parent. Would you help us? 
I mean, just really good people. And then when Samson's life gets off the rails, we realize it's, it's Samson's choices. Now, I realize when it comes to parenting and upbringing and environment and home life, we all have different experiences. And some of our experiences were, were healthy and strong and encouraging, and some of our experience weren't as much. And that definitely has an influence on our life. But there comes a point for all of us. There comes a time when we have to look in the mirror and say, you know what, my choices are mine now. I can't go through the rest of my life blaming other people for the choices that I keep making. These are my choices. Because here's what doesn't happen. Maturity, wisdom doesn't grow when I'm blaming. Those two can't coexist. We don't grow and mature and make wiser decisions while at the same time continuing to blame other people for our choices. I'm not saying life doesn't affect us. I'm not saying our environment doesn't affect us. I'm saying if we want to walk with God, sometimes we have to look in the mirror and say, it's me. I've got to change. I've got to change from the inside out. Well, we meet Samson in chapter 14. He's a grown man. We don't know any of his childhood, just except what his parents were like. He's a grown man in chapter 14, and chapter 14 begins this way. Samson went down to Timnah, which is geographical, but the Bible often pairs geographical references with spiritual and personal references. First time we meet Samson, he's going down, not just geographically. He's going down spiritually. He's going down personally. If you read the beginning of chapter 14 over and over, it has Samson going down going down to visit. He finds a woman in Timnah, which doesn't mean anything to us. The Bible tells us, though, that she was a Philistine, which means she was a part of the enemies of God. God had been very clear. You're not to intermarry with the Philistines. They don't honor and worship God. You're to stay away from them. Samson's parents step in and say, look, this isn't a good idea. Samson pays no attention to anyone. No warnings. He, he doesn't heed any warnings. He decides he wants to get married. So, so he does. He proposes to this girl. They have a week-long wedding uh, celebration. That's how it was done back then. You celebrated a whole week, and then you were married at the end of the week. So Samson poses a riddle to his groomsmen. The nature of the riddle is not important to our, our talk today. Interesting, but not important. Samson poses a riddle to his groomsmen, and there are 30 groomsmen. Imagine having those wedding photos, right? You've got 30 groomsmen and 30 bridesmaids. He's got 30 groomsmen. The riddle, I'll buy all of you, all 30 of you, a set of clothes. If you can't solve the riddle, you all have to buy me a set of clothes. Apparently, Samson was into clothes. Like he was a fashion guy or something. I don't know what was going on. But Samson says, we're going to make this bet. I'm going to buy you clothes or you're going to buy me clothes. Now, you have to remember, the groomsmen were not his friends. They were Philistines. They just picked out to be in the wedding. So they weren't like his fraternity brothers from college. or wasn't people that he knew. So they go to the fiancé. And they say, look, are you trying to rob us? We have to be in your wedding, and now we're going to have to buy clothes for Samson. You need to go find out what the answer to this riddle is, or else we're going to burn your house down with your family in it. 
which is nice, right? Okay, so they threaten her, so she goes to Samson, and she sweet talks, and when that doesn't work, she begs, and she whines, and she does that thing with her lip, and then she lets tears roll down her face, until finally Samson tells her the answer to the riddle. She goes back and tells the groomsmen. The groomsmen show up and say, hey, we solved the riddle. We know what the answer is. They give him the answer, and then one of the all-time great lines of the Bible, Samson says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Gentlemen, I don't recommend ever using that line for any reason. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. So now Samson owes them 30 sets of clothes. He does what any normal, rational human being would do. He went out and killed 30 Philistines, took their clothes, and gave them to the groomsmen. And then he gets mad and leaves. So Samson goes back home. The father of the bride figures Samson no longer wants to get married, so he marries off his daughter to one of the groomsmen. The problem is Samson comes back to get his wife, finds out that she's already married to one of his groomsmen who solved his riddle, and so once again, he does what any normal, sane human being would do. He captures 300 foxes, ties their tails together, puts a torch in the middle, and releases them in the grain fields of the Philistines, burning down all of their grain fields and their olive groves and their vineyards. So they all go to the fiancé's house and burn her and her family down as they had threatened to do before. And so Samson comes back and slaughters a bunch of them. And then he leaves again and goes away, and the Philistines are done with it. So they chase him into Judah, into into Israel's territory to get him. And now all the Israelites are panicking. And so they come to Samson and say, dude, what gives? You have to fix this. And so Samson, the NIV says, takes a fresh jawbone of a donkey, apparently because you don't want to use a stale donkey jawbone of a donkey for these purposes. Samson gets a fresh, and it all starts and kills a thousand Philistines. And it all started with a riddle. I mean, this, this whole thing started with a joke. Like, we're just messing around. But isn't that the way bad decision-making often starts? It's just this one thing. Like, I... Nobody's going to find out. It's just going to be one time. Nobody's going to find out. Nobody's going to ever know. It's just one email. It's just one text. It's just one conversation. It's just one lunch. How many lives have been destroyed and it all started with just one thing? Just one thing that became another thing that became another thing. and, And ten decisions downstream... Everything's blown up. You see, you and I have the potential to make decisions today that when we're done with them, have serious consequences for the rest of our lives. We turn the chapter to chapter 16. In the beginning of chapter 16, 
Samson goes and spends the night at a prostitute's house. They find out that he's there. They come to take him away and kill him. Samson sneaks away in the middle of the night, rips the gates of the city off, and carries them away to another place just because he can. And all of this before he ever meets Delilah. I mean, that's the part of the story we know, right? I mean, we know the Delilah part. It didn't start with Delilah. The meltdown didn't start with her. The meltdown started way upstream when Samson started ignoring ignoring his choices, ignoring wisdom, ignoring what God had to say, and doing what Samson wanted to do. Before we ever get to Delilah, he's moved way away from what God wanted for his life. So we get to chapter 16, verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sarek whose name was Delilah. Sometime later, it all starts over again. Eventually, the Philistines realize there's a love connection going on. So they come to Delilah and say, hey, help us figure out why he's so strong so that we can capture him. And so Delilah sweet-talks him, and then when that doesn't work, she begs, and then she whines, and then she does that thing with her lip, and then she lets a little tear roll out until Samson starts talking. And Samson begins to tell her what will take away his strength, and every time he tells her something, she does that to him. So the first thing he says is, look, if you tie me up in this certain way, then I'll lose all my strength. I'll be just like any other man. He goes to sleep. He wakes up, and he's tied up in that way. And the Philistines come in, and he rips it off and beats them up. And so she comes back. She begs, and she whines, and she does the lip, and she cries a tear. And she tells her, no, if you tie me up this other way. And he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he's tied up that way. And that's not the right way. So she comes back and she begs and she whines and she does the lip and she cries. And he says, no, if you braid my hair this way. And he goes to sleep and he wakes up and his hair is braided that way. And we're all reading the story going, how dumb can you be? Like, don't you have a clue? Didn't you do this whole thing with the other girl? Now it's been three times. And you're still doing it? How dumb. Here's here's the problem. When we are moving away from God, when our decision-making, when our actions are moving away from God, it gets harder and harder to see what right and wrong is. It may be crystal clear from the outside. I mean, we're reading this story and going, come on, you can tell what's going on. But have there been people doing that to our lives at times? I mean, are are there people who look at our lives sometimes and go, how can you keep making that decision? You know what happened last time. You know where you ended up last time. Here's Samson, and it's obvious to all of us and not obvious to him. And so finally, he tells her, you shaved my head, I'll lose all my strength. 
goes to sleep, she calls someone in, they shave his head. One of the saddest moments in the Bible is when he wakes up, his strength has left him. In Judges 16, 20, Samson says, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. I'll just do what I've always done. Everything will be fine. I'll just do the same thing I've been doing. And he didn't know that everything had changed. We can do that. I mean, we can fall for that illusion. We can fall for that illusion that nobody's going to catch me. Nobody's going to know. There's never going to be any consequences. Never going to get caught. I'm never going to have to pay for this. I'm keeping everything secret. I'm erasing my internet history. I'm deleting my text messages. Nobody's ever going to know. I'm just going to go out like nothing's going on until that, that one day. That one day when the consequences cave in. And the rest of your days are going to be forever changed. Samson's captured. His eyes are gouged out. He's forced to work in the prison. And then one day, the Philistines are having a festival to their false god. And so they bring Samson out to prove to everybody that our God's the greatest because our God let us capture Samson and they tie him between two pillars. And some of you know how the story goes. Samson says, God, can I have my strength back one more time? And God grants it and he presses the pillars apart and the building collapses, killing everybody inside, including Samson. And at the end of the story, we're left... But this guy who started in chapter 13 with all of this potential and all of this purpose, all of this possibility to his life, and now he lies under the rubble, not just of a building, but the rubble of his own choices. Buried. There's probably no end to the psychoanalysis of what drove Samson to be the person that he was. But I see a couple of characteristics in him that's possible in all of us. The first one is just an impulsive nature. I want, I'm going to go get. I think I know what's right, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to listen to anybody. I don't need anybody's advice. I don't need anybody's input. I don't need to know what God says. I don't need to read the Bible. I want it. I'm going to go get it. This impulsive lack of boundaries blowing right through advice, blowing right through the rules, blowing right through the boundaries of his life. I know what's right, but I don't care. I want to do this. Second. It's this narcissism. It's the fact that everything in his life was about him. Everything was about how it related to him. What he wanted. What he desired. How it was going to affect him. Samson was supposed to be the leader. The judge of the nation. You read his whole story and he's not doing anything for the nation. He's not motivated to lead the nation in any way. He's motivated by one thing. What he wants. What will help him? Samson even fights several battles in the story. He fights none of them on behalf of the nation. They're all fought out of his own anger. 
to get even with someone. They're all thought for himself. He even prays. There's two prayers of Samson. Even his prayers are about himself. In Judges 15, 18, this is after the fresh jawbone of the donkey kills a thousand Philistines. He prays, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Like, God, I've been busy down here. Like, can you give me some water, please? I'm a little thirsty. I've been working hard. Even, even his prayers are about himself. At the very end, right before he pushes the building down, he prays, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Even at the end, God, I want to get them back. I want to get my revenge. Even his prayers. There should be huge warning signs. When we are defining everything in life by how it affects me and what I want and what I'm going to get out of it. And finally, he was mastered by his desires and his appetites. Just constantly running after the next thing that he wanted. No self-restraint, no self-discipline, no self-control. He never said no to himself and he never listened to no from anyone else. He's mastered by the desires and the appetites that he had within himself. And when we are at that point, we're going to experience the consequences. You see, the problem for all of us is that we all have a little Samson inside of us. Maybe a not-so-little Samson inside of us. We all have a part of us that doesn't want to listen doesn't want to take instruction, doesn't want to listen to the wisdom of other people, doesn't want to be told no, just wants to fulfill our own desires and our own goals and our own motives. There's a little bit of Samson in all of us. And if we're not careful, that part of us will land us under a pile of rubble of our own choices and our own making. It's not that God doesn't forgive. He does. It's not that He doesn't extend grace. He does. But even in His extension of grace, God doesn't remove the consequences that we bring on ourselves. God doesn't remove the ramifications of my choices today and the influence that they'll have on my tomorrow. So choose wisely. The story of Samson reminds us that choices matter. They matter whether you're 12 or 15 or 21 or 45 or 60 or 80. They matter. So choose wisely. Let's pray. God, we read this story and... Our natural reaction is, boy, this is way over the top, uh, almost cartoonish in nature, that someone would be this dumb, that someone would keep making the same mistakes over and over, that somebody wouldn't listen to anyone around them, but truth is, there's a little Samson in all of us. 
There's a little bit of all of us that wants to run towards what we desire. And sometimes that means running away from what you desire. Give us wisdom. Remind us that the choices, decisions, actions, relationships of today are going to impact tomorrow. Not just in our life, but in the lives of the people around us. And so I pray for the person that's here this morning and they've started down that path. Maybe it's just the first step. Maybe it's the fifth step. Maybe it's the tenth step. Your spirit's calling them back this morning. Your spirit's saying, come back to me. Turn away from that. That's not going to give you what you think it will. That's going to bring hurt and pain and brokenness and loneliness. Come back. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I just want to give you a moment. Whatever part of you there may be, started down a path that you know is going to end in consequences. Come back. If you just need to confess it this morning, if you need to say what it is, and ask God to help you step back. He's a restorer. He's, he's a forgiver. He gives new chances. Or what a different story Samson would be if chapter 14 ended differently. If after he'd made some mistakes, Samson said, God, I don't want to do that anymore. God, I want to come back to you. How different chapters 15 and 16 would be if Samson had turned back in chapter 14. That's your chance today. It's your chance. Those areas of your life that you know you're moving away from what God wants. This is your chance to turn around and come back and write a new chapter. Write a new ending. So I'm going to give you just 30 seconds maybe. Whatever it is you need to confess, whatever you need to clear up, whoever you need to pray for, this is your chance.